a podcast one production. My dad recently had a health scare and he lives in a different state. So I get a phone call from his partner to say that he'd been rushed to hospital. And of course, it was during a busy time where I just couldn't get away down to see him. So I felt really helpless and it was a a bit of a scary time. Every day I was on the phone to doctors and the prognosis would get worse and then it would be better, but then he'd relapse. And it just hit me that I was not prepared for if one of my parents got sick or unwell. We didn't really have a plan in place. What if he couldn't go back home again? Where would he live? And it just got me thinking about the pressure and I suddenly felt under pressure about not only looking after my four young kids but also having ageing parents to look after. And I am well and truly smack bang in the middle of it. This is Healthy Her with Amelia Phillips. And in this episode, we're going to explore the sandwich generation, a growing dynamic of parents in their 20s, 30s and 40s with young children to care for, plus the pressure of caring for ageing parents, or maybe even grandparents as well. In Australia, the sandwich generation has increased by almost 30% in the last three decades, with us mums definitely the meat in this juicy sandwich. But is this social shift making life harder for us or could it actually be a healthier way to live? Joining me to discuss this is Mark McCrindle, social analyst, author, speaker and founder of McCrindle Research, which looks into emerging social trends like the sandwich generation. Hi, Mark. Thanks for coming on today. Thanks for having me, Amelia. Can you explain exactly what the sandwich generation is and how it's impacting us mums? Well, it refers to those parents who are sandwiched between raising their own children and all the pressures of that, and they're at the point where they've got their own parents getting older and needing a bit more support and care as well. It starts to onset, well, Families start in the early 30s these days. That's the average age of someone starting a family. By the time you've got maybe a second or a third child, parents are moving into their 40s, and that's right when their own parents are probably hitting their 70s and needing a little bit more of care or or oversight. And it can extend well into the 50s as well as those parents age a bit, but you've still got the family in tow. You've pretty much just described me. I must be Mrs. Average because <laughs> you just exactly describe my situation. But I've also read that there's another layer to this social shift called the club sandwich. Can you explain what that is? Well, that's just throwing some extra layers into the sandwich challenge. And that is because now we've got sometimes young adults living at home with their parents and sometimes they're bringing their own newborns uh, with them. So now we've got three generations. Sometimes you've got older or elderly parents moving in with the the adult children as well. Now you've got four. And some younger parents particularly have not their parents that they're looking out for in terms of care, but their grandparents. So there really can be multiple generations across which parents are caring. And we know in Australia that 80% of the carer role, both the children and the parents, is picked up by the mums, the women. And so that's where this sandwich burden really does fall. So how does that impact mums on a day-to-day level? We know that mums are taking on most of that child carer role. They also in Australia take on most of the domestic duties. And even over the last 20 years, as the female participation rate in the paid workforce has increased and they've closed the gap on men, the fathers have not picked up that same domestic role as much. 
men are mar- far more hands-on on the child-caring role, but still the majority of the time uh, it's the mums that take on the child-rearing, the mums that take on most of the domestic work, and also the mums that take on most of the care of their parents. Interestingly, they also are the default carers for their spouse or partner's parent as well, which is quite amazing. So somehow in our society, we're at this point where the mums are taking on most of the responsibility across both edges of that sandwich. And if there's another person moving in or a bit more of that care required, that adds to the domestic duty or the taxi service. It adds more to the drop-ins and the buying the goods to fill up the fridge for mum or dad. And again, it does tend to fall that burden on, on the mum. Uh, mums are most likely to not be working full-time when they've got those dependent children, but part-time. And so maybe that's why they're filling those extra times with with the unpaid work. But that's how it plays out. And that's unfortunately why this sandwich pressure most affects mums even more than dads. So what are some options for a mum that is feeling the pinch of that pressure? Well, the first is to recognise total hours worked. Australian Institute of Health and Welfare shows that if you add up total hours, paid work and unpaid work, women are doing a lot more work than men. And the men might feel, yeah, but I'm working full time. Yeah, but that's in the paid work. You add up the carer work, the the domestic work, and women are out doing the men. I think it's just having those conversations with one's partner about the workload and getting a bit more um, equity, uh, particularly in this stressful time around that, Another part is to recognise where those family lines are. And it is a bit of a stretch when the uh, the mum is having to help out the in-laws, you know, the, the, the partner's parents. The double whammy, not <laughs> exactly. only your own parents, you've got your in-laws as well. You've, you've, you've inherited someone else's parents to care for uh, or to drop around or to drop to that appointment. And that's where I think you know, we, we've started to take for granted um, the mum who might be there and have, have a bit more time in the home environment. So I think it's being fair, it's being real, understanding whose responsibility these family uh, areas really are and, and being a bit clear and having those honest conversations about that so that people don't feel taken advantage of. I think I need to put your research in my show notes so I can go home to my husband and say, look, (laughs) it's true, there's research to back up how hard I'm working right now. (laughs) And look, of course, mums and I think any parent will just, when the pressure is on, because we're talking about family, they'll do whatever it takes to help their parents, to help the in-laws, to help help the kids. But but there is a price to pay. Sometimes that financial stress starts to cause people to go backwards themselves. That's not great for their future. Sometimes the stress and emotional burden uh, causes a little bit of burnout, and that's not healthy. It's got to be about the long-term sustainability. The sandwich is not just for a couple of months. It does extend over a decade or more for most people. So we've got to be in it for the long haul. Therefore, we've got to keep healthy, and therefore, we've got to set some boundaries. So, and you've just touched on a few kind of reasons behind it, but I want to explore that a little bit more. Like, why has this, um, you know, sandwich generation emerged in today's day and age? Well, firstly, it's because of this fantastic longevity boom that we have right around the world where people are living later. And the latest data in Australia shows that a child born today will live to their mid-80s, and that's on average, and that's at birth. As we move through the milestones, that forecast further extends. So what we have is people older, longer, living in their own homes, independent, later, rather than moving into institutional care. 
well into their 80s and beyond. And that's where, you know, they can certainly live in their homes later, but they might need their children to uh, take them to doctor's appointments to keep an eye on, drop in and check on them. So that's, that's where part of that sandwich falls. The other side of it is at the younger age, and that is that parents are starting families a little later. And so they've got their own children that they're taking care of right at the time that their parents are aging. And of course, children are staying at home later. And that's where the sandwich can extend while we're into our 50s, because these days the children aren't going to hit 18 and move out of home. They're still at home in their 20s. And uh, and that's, of course, when the parents are starting to get quite old. So, so that's why we've got this extended uh, trend of the sandwich, longevity booms, changing life stages and changing approach to people in terms of where they live. Could there be some cultural elements too? You know, if Australia's um, migration rate is on the increase and you have different cultures coming in and a culture might, for example, um, you know, have families living together, do you think that can affect it as well? Yeah, it does. And Australia has really adapted to what we see around the world. You know, you think about those migrants that have come from Southern Europe, you know, Italians and Greeks, you always just lived at home till uh, you, you got married and moved out. We see the same in the Asian culture where you don't send the elderly parents off to uh, to in- institution. The, par- the, the children of those parents look after them. And because of the cost of living, uh, even locally born Australians are adopting that same approach where you know, you've got the kids that are going to stay at home, they're, they're finishing studies, so they're not independent financially, they're going to live longer uh, at home. And often the parents, they might not be able to cope with that big empty nest home themselves, but nor do they want to move into some retirement living. And so they, for a period, might move in with their adult children as well. What are some of the advantages of being part of this sandwich generation? Well, this multi-generational approach that we have, whether it be sandwiched under the one roof or whether it be just keeping an eye on on the parents in their own place, it does create that greater social connection. I mean, how fantastic for our children to have more of that hands-on connection with the grandparents. How great to have that social support across the generations where children can learn not just from parents but grandparents, where grandparents can remain younger longer by keeping in touch with the younger generation. So it's got a lot of social benefits. It does keep the family more cohesive, offers more of that support. The fact is that most parents that have the young kids are two income earning households. They're juggling more roles. They're up there at the school. They've got a lot going on in their life. And so to get a little bit of that help from grandparents, as well as the care and support they offer, has got to be a good thing. And you know where we can help out rather than just uh, shuffling people off to institutional care here or there is also you know a great thing for the family unit. You know, I get reminded of that when my mum, who lives about an hour away from where we live, um, when she comes to visit Nanny, she's she's known as by the kids, when I tell the kids that Nanny's coming to visit, their faces just light up. And they, it's, even though, uh, you know, mum's not with them every single day, probably sees them once a fortnight, they just, there's some, there's a special bond that mm. I see that they have with their nanny. Yeah. Would you agree with that? Totally. And that's why most of the world has lived this way. You know, we've been a bit of an anomaly where we you know, have all the institutions to care for people, but it creates that relational bond, that social connection, that intergenerational sharing of memories. And it does provide uh, better living because, you know, the older people are staying in touch with things. The fact is that our older parents are working later in life anyway. They're they're up with the technology. And in so many ways, the generation gap is less today because of this connection that we have right across our generations. 
Yeah, and I love the idea of, you know, the young kids keep the older ageing parents a bit younger <laughs> and then the older, you know, the older people in the family help to kind of raise and, and bring the young kids up along the ranks. It's it's that joint effort. It's that, you know, tribal mentality that I love. And it's interesting, um, I'm sure you've heard of the blue zones, which uh, um, places around the world that research has shown where we have the lowest rates of chronic disease and where people live the longest. So they're these great little pockets. Um, there's a place in Japan, a place in Argentina, um, Seventh-day Adventists. And um, in researching these blue zones, they came up with nine commonalities of, I guess, these uh, health commonalities. And so, you know, they were all moving, uh, they all have exercise or incidental exercise, they all have a sense of purpose, they all have a way to de-stress, um, they all are very plant-based in what they eat. Uh, they all drink wine, except for the Seventh-day Adventists. But one of, the, one of the commonalities that they had is they all tended to put their loved ones first and they tended to have that multi-generational living. And the research from the Blue Zones showed that it not only helped uh, with the longevity of the ageing people, but it actually had an impact on the younger generation and it helped them to live longer, which I thought was really interesting. So I love this idea that there are health benefits in here, you know, um, as well as all the other benefits. Plus it saves money, right? Yeah, well, it does. <laughs> and it does create healthy communities. You know, no one wants to live in a community where it's all older people or where there's only young singles or students or where there's just young families. We all benefit from that diverse community age-wise. And, and I think it's a healthy thing for our society where, you know, older people can remain in their homes and in their communities and suburbs where they can uh, for a time, perhaps move in with their their parents, where the, the parents move in with the kids, or where the kids can stay a little longer in their parents' home until they get a bit sorted out in life. So the diverse generations mixing in our communities, our suburbs and our households does bring benefits right across the board. I must say, though, if I told my husband that my mum was moving in next week, I don't know how well that would go down. As much as, you know, Tim and mum get on really well, um, talk to me about the downsides, mm. the, the negative impacts of this sandwich generation. Well, it's called the sandwich generation for a reason, and that is that those in the middle do get squeezed. You know, there are pressures. We know as parents that it is the busiest time of life. It's also the most expensive time of life. And right at the time, we've still got our own children that we're trying to raise and, you know, it's a very uh, intense time. Uh, and regardless of the stage, whether they're the youngsters, whether they're the tweens or moving through those challenging teenage years, it's nonstop. And this hits right at the time that, you know, we're feeling a little bit of strain and stress for our parents that might be getting a bit older. So it has firstly an emotional burden. It has a time burden. And we're not talking about necessarily households where the parents, older parents are moving in with them. Even if the parents have got their own life and they've got it sorted, we do as the adult children start to feel a bit of concern and just check in on mom, see how dad's going, help them out with that appointment, help interpret that letter that they've got or maybe sort out the internet problem. So it's a little bit of the emotional pressure, it's the time pressure, and often there is a financial cost as well. You know, sometimes maybe it's for respite reasons, uh, recovering from a hip issue or whatever, maybe mum moves in or dad, or maybe we're, we're, we're around there a bit more, helping them out with some of the bills or just some extra costs. Um, and of course, when those young people, our children, stay at home later, that also comes at a cost. So it's emotional, it's time, it's financial. It does create more of a squeeze at a particularly busy point in life.
Well, I mean, it took a health scare with my dad to trigger this, you know, conversation. And I'm a bit embarrassed to say that I hadn't, my, my parents are so strong. They're in their, their mid to late 70s, but they're, you know, the, both my mum and dad are so independent that when this health scare happened, it I realised I'm not set up for this. I'm not prepared. And, you know, obviously it's not an ideal situation to wait for a health scare, what are some signs that us mums should look out for that it might be time to ask for help or, or, or time to start to navigate this tricky time? Well, if we think about our um, elderly parents or parents that are starting to age, even though they might be working a bit later, um, we've found in our research, if we look at those who move from their homes as older Australians into some retirement or, or, or aged care facility, more than half of them started looking at, to make that move within 12 months of making the move. In other words, they didn't have the long-term planning. This wasn't a staged approach. It happened. It was a push factor. It happened because suddenly there's a health scare. Suddenly there was a, a prolonged illness. Maybe the, the spouse had had a challenge or the knee went or the hip went. It was a push factor that caused the urgent decision to move out of home because I can't look after myself anymore, rather than a desire for this ideal you know, retirement living and, and, and sort of a planned approach. So the challenge of all of that is suddenly everyone is brought in to help quickly navigate this decision, move mum and dad from their place and, and make sure it's a smooth transition amidst medical issues or uncertainties around health. That creates part of the urgency and the challenge. And then you've got to try to find a place and navigate the whole uh, ageing system we are in a good place now where there's a lot more home support, there's a lot more respite and other care, there are professionals and government funding for that home support so that the children don't have to go around and do the cleaning or um, look after the basic physio appointments. That can be brought in home and funded. So that's been a great change we haven't seen uh, until the last couple of years. And uh, also, it's just having those regular conversations with our parents just to see how they're going, talking to their professionals you know, at appointments just to see how they're traveling. Uh, is there any support we need to give them so that we can be prepared rather than suddenly have this urgency situation that most often occurs? Yeah, because I mean, in my situation when my dad was living in a different state, I was imagining having to ship them up to, you know, Sydney and all the dramas that went with that. And then to your point about government, it was great to find out that there is, you know, government support where people will come in, assess the situation, they might make the house more appropriate, putting handrails in or ramps when needed. Um are you telling me that's only come in in the last couple of years? Yeah, these home care packages and the retrofitting of homes so that older people can stay in their homes longer is a new government initiative. It was in the past only ever um, in you had to move into a, an institution to get that sort of care. And of course, it's a lot cheaper for all the taxpayers and a lot better for the older people themselves to stay in their own home than be, you know, full-time in some age facility. So there's benefits all around, uh, but, you know, and, and there's more support now, which is great, but certainly the children are going to be more involved uh, in managing this process. It's really interesting what your research found. So this is through the McCrindle Research um, Program that you run. Um, you're actually looking at the reasons why people are uh, triggered to go and find, um, whether it be retirement villages or institutions, is that right? Exactly. And we found three stages and I'm sure, you know, many of us can can relate as we think about our parents' journey. And the first is in the 60s and even into the 70s, a lot of um, Australians are, are passive about the, the next stage in their care. They're saying, forget about it. I'm young and I'm healthy and I'm still even working a bit. And then it moves to 
reluctancy. They hit the mid-70s, maybe early 80s, and there's a few health issues, but they actually push back on any decision. No, no, I'm fine, and they're fighting against it. And then suddenly the health issues get too much, and suddenly it's gone from passivity to reluctancy, and now it's urgency, and a decision has to be made, and often within weeks or months. If we can avoid that by having the discussions early, by at least even knowing what the pathways and options are, it's going to be better off for all involved. So when I tried to have that discussion with my mum, I got the look. (laughs) You know the look? Yes. (laughs) Cat bum mouth, I call (laughs) it, when the lips purse close and I got the, I'll be taken out of here in a box. Yeah. And that was the end of the conversation. (laughs) Exactly. And and then that next stage is suddenly, whoa, now we've really got to solve it because of the the big issues we've got health-wise. So what are some strategies um, or some practical ways that we could start these tricky conversations? Well, the first thing to avoid that urgency of suddenly having to, you know, find a place for mum or dad if there's an issue. Uh, the first thing, and, and particularly because, as you said, they often don't want to move the, you know, over my dead body. Will I move out of this place? Is to start to bring in those home services because that's going to be a blessing for them. They're going to appreciate it. No one's got a problem with the cleaners come in or if uh, there's a little bit more of that home support in their own home, and that starts to get them uh, supported, and it will actually mean they can stay longer in that place. It's going to be more appropriate living for them as it's fitted out for them. The second thing is not to have the conversations ourselves with them necessarily to say, Mama, do you think we ought to look at the next stage? But rather uh, let the professionals have those conversations because that's who our parents will listen to. And if the GP or if another medical professional who does an assessment says, you know what, I I think that we start to need to look at these options That gives you the support. That gives you the backup to say, well, like the doctor said, so can we just go and I've got a few brochures. Can we have a look at that? Or there's an open day up the road and and we can start to at least get them to explore that without us being the bad guy or or bad person for bringing it up. Uh, The doctor has recommended we look at some of these options and that's going to help start that conversation. That takes a, a lot of pressure off us having to be the bearer of the news Exactly right. And, you know, they're going to make those medical decisions based on what they see, based on their assessments. And uh, and so it's going to have good evidence behind it. And I think our parents will understand that wisdom. And, you know, another thing that I sometimes do with the tricky conversations is I say, I've got this friend and she's got this situation and I go into it that way. <laughs> My parents usually do see through it, but <laughs> it has worked on occasion. Always worth a shot. Yeah, but I think it's great to know that there's other options out there. Yeah, at that point, I think it was literally, mum, you know, uh, like we're not in a house that's suitable for you. You might have to think of a retirement village. But now what you're talking about is there's actually a lot more in-home care. And once the sort of pride levels, you know, uh, drop a little bit or maybe even a different approach to it where rather than saying you're getting care, it's like, you know, you've given a lot to our country and now mm-hmm. it's, you know, you may as well use the system that's available for totally. you. Use You don't want to have to clean your house. Have someone come in and clean your house for you. Exactly right. And there's two great reasons to utilise those services. Number one is that for most of us as parents, we're only just coping with our kids and our lives as it is. Throw one more thing like suddenly parent care, which we hadn't planned on, and the whole thing starts to fall apart. But secondly, We've got professionals and that's what they do. No point in us going around and helping mum with her sore back or or, or trying to put the handle uh, hold beside the toilet. Let's get the professionals in. That's what they do, the physio, the in-home care, even some of those cleaning services. And, and of course, it is there for and government funded for the reasons that it's actually cheaper for society to go that way. And so what can people look up if they're wanting this in-home assistance and government care? 
Well, it's so complex. It's sort of almost overwhelming, isn't it? But the government has done a great job on setting up myagecare.gov.au, which is the first step. It is a reasonably easy to navigate portal to work all of these things out. And you'll see the assisted living packages or the in-home care support, as well as your retirement and, and aged care support. So all of that is there. And I would suggest uh, people explore that website a little bit, start to get some of the information, the knowledge. There are call lines there as well, call centers that, that can give you some advice. And uh, hopefully that'll help us understand it so that we can help our parents. For the mums listening who are actually living with their parents, what advice would you have to them to help this kind of arrangement thrive? Well, it's the same advice as when we've got those children that have perhaps hit their 20s and still living at home. You know, when we in the middle of that sandwich are caring beyond what is the dependence, you know, they've hit the point where they could be independent or maybe it's the older parents moving in. The first thing is to have the discussions about what the responsibilities and the expectations are. You know, what are we going to pay for? What is that other individual, whether they be the older parent or the the young adult child, going to pay for? Uh, How long is the time frame for this? Shall we put a time frame on a six-month thing and then review it so that we do know that it's not an open-ended thing, that it will be reviewed, that we'll look at it? What are the contributions, not just financial, but uh, practical, domestic, that each party will make to the equation. Because what often happens is the parents that have got their busy lives have the young adult children finish uni, maybe get a job, but they still live at home. And there can be a sense of, am I being taken for granted here? Are my kids sort of using, perhaps abusing this generosity? And the same can be with mum or dad if they move in for a little while. Um, maybe you know, as they there might be relational issues that have gone on. There might be health issues and and, and so they move in. And, and we do have to, I think, have a little written you know, agreement, uh, contributions, participation, basic uh, understandings, and a time frame at which it will be reviewed. And that takes the pressure off, particularly for perhaps the spouse or partner. You know, if it's your own children or your own parents, that's understandable. But uh, when it's the in-laws, it gets a little trickier and hard to navigate. And that's where I think for all concerned, people appreciate having some little note as to what's expected and when it will be reviewed. Yeah, I love that idea of being transparent and some family dynamics is easier with other family dynamics, especially that sort of generation that came out of wartime, uh, I find can sometimes be a bit of a closed book and can be a little bit hard to communicate with. But I've certainly noticed with my mum, bless the cat bum mouth, if you do actually persevere and keep going through having those transparent conversations as, as awkward or tricky as they can be, do I think, always um, end up with a more positive outcome. Tell me, Mark, parting advice. What's one piece of parting advice for us mums, the the meat that are wedged in this middle of this sandwich, to help us maybe feel not so pressured Mm. during this stage? Well, one thing to do is just to, particularly in the midst of the stress of it, the frustration of it, the busyness of it, just to think about what the alternative would be that, and it's true for many people, their parents are overseas or they don't have parents at all uh, around. And so while it's stressful and time consuming and can be annoying, um, what a blessing to still have those parents nearby. And the same with those children as they get a bit older and perhaps don't move out of home. You know, the alternative that many face is they'd love to have their children, those young adult children around more and they don't get it. So to appreciate what we have, even though it can be annoying or difficult or stressful, Um, because at least we've got them around and to see the benefits in that. And the second is, I think, to be clear on 
what the roles and responsibilities are and make sure people are making a contribution to it, particularly, you know, those young adults that are still there and perhaps being a bit supported later, uh, or maybe the parents when they're still uh, are quite active. And, and if people feel that there's a fair trade, you know, that, that everyone, as always has to be in a family, is making a contribution, is a participant in this community, then I think we can all put up with and deal with the the, the pressures, the challenges, uh, but we won't feel taken advantage of because everyone's got the same aim and uh, and love and care and family, you know, dominate um, as we see people, you know, really helping each other out. I love this idea that even though there might be that little bit of pressure there, ultimately I do feel in the blue zones kind of support this, that that multi-generational living has a lot of benefits to it. It sure does. And, uh, you know, Everyone, when they review their life, they say, you know what, family. And if I had it over, I'd give more time to family, not less. So, well, we're getting that wish come true. There's going to be a lot more family in our life, uh, both parents and children, for a lot longer. And uh, it does have those benefits, even though it's got the stress, the sandwich that might be part of it as well. Mark, thank you so much. Thanks, Amelia. Healthy Her was presented by me, Amelia Phillips, and created in collaboration with Podcast One Australia. Producer Live Proud, sound production by Matt Nikolic. Theme music composed by Matthew Dwyer, executive producer Jennifer Goggin. To hear more episodes, listen for free at podcastoneaustralia.com.au. Download the free Podcast One Australia app or search Healthy Her. And for more tips and insights on this topic, visit my show notes at ameliaphillips.com.au.